This episode is brought to you by Asperion, the lipid management company, singularly focused on lipid management for everybody. Learn more about how we're changing the LDLC treatment paradigm at Asperion.com. From the American College of Cardiology, this is Dr. Kim Eagle, ACC.org Editor-in-Chief. With this week's Eagle's Eye View, this is your weekly cardiovascular update from ACC.org. I'm recording this podcast on Monday morning, October 21st, 2019. I've chosen three articles that were published this week that reflect different aspects of cardiovascular care that I think are useful to our learning audience. One is an excellent review on current thinking about lipid management for the prevention of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. I'm going to give a brief update of the 10-year outcomes from the Syntax trial, which looked at PCI versus cabbage in patients with left main and or three-vessel disease. And then finally, we'll take a look at this biomarker SST2 and its potential value in managing patients with heart failure. So let's start with lipid management. This week's New England Journal had a nice review looking at the current recommendations surrounding the management of lipids. Obviously, this is an area that's changed a lot in the last few years with release of first the U.S. guidelines and then ESC guidelines. As you know, there's a correlation between the LDL cholesterol level and atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease risk. And the more recent evidence suggests that lower is better. For every 39 milligrams per deciliter reduction in LDL cholesterol, there's a 20% reduction in ASCVD events and a 10% reduction in all-cause mortality. Clearly, the decisions about cardiovascular risk management represents a shared decision between the clinician and the patient. And the use of the 10-year ASCVD risk calculator is very useful. You can find this at www.cvriskcalculator.com. And it's intended, as you know, for adults age 40 to 75. And it can also be used to estimate lifetime risk for younger patients. And current categorization is low risk as less than 5%, borderline 5 to 7.5, intermediate 7.5 to 20, and high risk is greater than or equal to 20%. Estimation of lifetime risk in adult patients younger than 40 or 40 to 59 years of age can also be made, and clearly the value of healthy lifestyle, et cetera, can be emphasized. Now, the foundation for managing risk factors starts with lifestyle, of course, and that has a normal weight, normal blood sugar, physical activity, obviously lipid evaluation, diet, etc. So statin and other lipid-lowering drugs are clearly to be offered based on individual risk. It's recommended that high-intensity statins to reduce LDL cholesterol by 50% or more would be used in those high-risk patients. And for those at intermediate risk, moderate-intensity statin would be started trying to get the LDL cholesterol down by at least 30%. For very high-risk individuals with LDLs greater than 190, also non-statins, including azetamide and PCSK9, might be considered. Recommendations for statin treatment in patients age 40 to 75 with an LDL greater than 70 who have diabetes or a 10-year risk of ASCVD greater than 75% is also appropriate. And then we think about risk enhancers that can further help us modify our estimation and our treatment plan. And this certainly includes the use of a coronary artery calcium score 
family history, etc. The risk enhancers that are part of the guidelines include uh, history of preeclampsia, early menopause, rheumatologic disorders, HIV, a strong family history of premature coronary heart disease, South Asian ancestry, CKD, high triglyceride levels, elevated ApoB, elevated HSCRP, or lipoprotein little a. And these each can be used to decide whether we should have an increased intensity of statin use, particularly in the borderline or low intermediate risk groups. Statins are generally recommended for a CAC score greater than 100 or greater than 75th percentile for age, sex, and race. But they can also be considered in patients who have a score of 1 to 99, particularly if patients are age 55 or more. If the calcium score is zero, then that would be a strong indication of lower risk and statin treatment might be withheld, at least for a period of time. For patients with severe hypercholesterolemia, defined as LDL greater than 190, high-intensity statin therapy is recommended. If the LDL then remains greater than 100 milligrams per deciliter, consideration should be given to azetamide, a PCSK9 agent, or both. Similarly, in diabetics, there's no need to use the risk calculator. A moderate-intensity statin is recommended, and for those with multiple risk factors, a high-intensity statin should be considered. In patients who already have established ASCVD, the target LDL reduction should be at least 50%. If the LDL remains above 70 milligrams per deciliter, it's reasonable then to add azetamide. And for people who are very high risk, it is reasonable to think about a PCSK9 inhibitor. For persons over the age of 75 who have ASCVD, initiation or continuation of moderate or high-intensity statin is reasonable. Now, what about using fish oil? Long-chain N3 polyunsaturated fatty acids, either EPA plus DHA or EPA alone, reduce triglycerides by reducing VLDL particle formation and clearance in the circulation. Severe hypertriglyceridemia, that is greater than 500 milligrams per deciliter, should be treated with 4 grams of N3 fatty acids to reduce the triglycerides by 20 to 30 percent. Lower doses have not shown to be effective. The REDUCE-IT study looked at the use of EPA in patients at high risk of ASCVD or diabetics with one additional risk factor, and they had to have a triglyceride level of uh, 135 to 500 and a well-controlled LDL on statin, and they received 4 grams of icosapent ethyl, and they had a 25% major reduction of cardiovascular events, and it was not strictly related to the effect on triglyceride. You may recall that icosapent ethyl is a proprietary and highly purified form of EPA. The findings in Reduce It should probably not be generalized to general use of a dietary supplement with fish oil, and it's thought that the benefit of that agent may have other mechanisms, including anti-inflammatory and or anti-thrombotic. Once you put a patient on an agent, we should recheck lipids at 4 to 12 months, and then at least annually. In terms of other definitions, statin intolerance is defined as the inability to tolerate at least two different statins, including one starting at a low dose. And finally, obviously there's a lot of new stuff happening in the area of treating cholesterol, so stay tuned as this evolves. Okay, so let's move from that to syntax. The Lancet this week had the 10-year follow-up of syntax, and so I thought I would just briefly mention it to you. Remember, Syntax enrolled 1,800 patients 
who all had either three-vessel disease and or left main disease with ischemic heart disease. And they were randomized to bypass or to PCI, all using Taxus stents. And the primary endpoint was an all-cause endpoint, all-cause mortality, stroke, MI, or repeat revascularization, and then the individual endpoints. This week in Lancet, they released the 10-year results. Among the 1,800 patients who were originally randomized, roughly half each to cabbage and drug-looting stent therapy, 25% were diabetic, about a third had a prior MI, unstable angina was present in about 28%, and the Euro score was 3.8. Total number of lesions was about 4.4. 66% of the patients had three-vessel disease only, about 3.4% had pure left main, and then various combinations of left main, one and two, and three-vessel disease. And the number of stents implanted in the stent group was 4.6. So if we look at the three-year follow-up, the MACE was lower in the cabbage arm, and it was largely driven by repeat revascularization with the cabbage group. When we look at the five-year outcomes, reductions in repeat revascularizations were again seen. All-cause mortality was similar, but cabbage was superior to PCI in terms of cardiac mortality. The 10-year follow-up results, the mortality was 27% with PCI, 24% with cabbage. That was borderline statistically significant. The three-vessel group, 28% mortality with PCI, 21% with cabbage, showing a trend for cabbage there. In left main, the uh, results were similar, and there was no interaction at 10 years in diabetic status, although earlier in the analysis, diabetics appeared to get more benefit from cabbage. So a nice 10-year follow-up looking at the results of Syntax. Obviously, since the origination of this trial, we have newer drug-looting stents, which are probably more effective. We also have advances in coronary bypass surgery. So certainly the trial at 10 years old still has relevance, but there's been a lot of progress as well. Lastly, I just wanted to mention this soluble suppression of tumorigenesis biomarker SST2. Soluble suppression of tumorigenesis biomarkers released in response to vascular congestion, inflammation, and profibrotic stimuli, and it appears to be an independent predictor of mortality and heart failure. This is a nice review by several experts in JAK this week. SST2 meets two fundamental criteria for clinically useful biomarker. It's accurate. Repeated measurements appear to be available at a reasonable cost, and it's a biomarker which provides information not currently thought to be available in a clinical assessment. SST2 is apparently additive to natriuretic peptide measurements and additive to high-sensitivity troponin. The 2013 ACCHA guidelines on heart failure provided a 2B recommendation for the use of biomarkers to guide treatment. The 2016 guidelines said that the evidence of SST2 and other emerging biomarkers is still not so compelling to recommend their routine use, but the science is becoming more and more available. If this particular biomarker is going to be used, it may be measured on admission and then at the planned discharge, and it may have some role in chronic treatment as well. As the data accumulates both with this particular biomarker, as well as high-sensitivity troponin and natriuretic peptides, 
I do believe we'll see some improvement in risk predictability, and these particular biomarkers may find a role. Clearly, the next step is that we need clinical trials based upon the use of biomarker information to show a change in outcome. Then we can begin to justify the use of these particular biomarkers in practice. So I want to suggest that you stay tuned with SST2 and heart failure. I do think it's going to have a place in treatment, but uh, that continues to be in evolution. Well, I want to thank you for listening to Eagle's Eye View. This is your weekly cardiovascular update from acc.org. Today we've talked about a review of the treatment of hypercholesterolemia. We've talked about the 10-year results from Syntax and a couple of notes about this uh, biomarker in heart failure, SST2. You can find these articles on the website, and you find other articles and information that's useful to you on our Education and Meetings tab on acc.org. I want to thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you.